1: well hello hello and to a podcast but a podcast with a different distinction it's
0: me off the cuff talking about everything that i love artistically usually it will be segregated to literature novels books and films but not only that it may be a time where i talk upon cultural things most specifically within the art medium My, whether it's movie news book news culturally what's going on it's literally a podcast about a man on his own staring at the four walls and
1: just thinking what am i it's not a rot! it's an articulate warbling hey everyone welcome back to black clock audio tales i'm your host and editor producer db spitzer Today we're going to be talking about Beowulf or Anglo-Saxon sonnets or something dealing with uh, Old English. So stay tuned uh, or check the show notes and find out specifically what we're going to be talking about. If you want to keep the show going, help support the show, help uh, help keep it on the air. Uh, why not go to pgttcm.podbean.com and become a member of our patrons? Also, look out for upcoming projects. We always have something going on. Become a member of one of our cults: uh, the T-shirt cult, the sticker cult, the uh, I don't know. You know, hey. Um, also, you could support us by going to paypal.me/pgttcm. Or just telling people about us or supporting us and being our friends on social media. Instagram, Black Clock Audio Tales, uh, People's Guide to the Cthulhu Mythos, Black Clock Audio Tales on Facebook. I'm on Twitter, but I don't do much with it occasionally. I do stuff, but hey, that's about it. So here we go with some Anglo-Saxon Old English talkity stuff.
0: Sonnets 90-98 to and Conclusion 90 Edward was the son of Ethelred and Emma, the sister of Robert, Duke of Normandy, the father of William the Conqueror. In AD 1013 Ethelred, being severely pressed by the Danes, sent first his queen and afterwards his two youngest sons, Edward and Alfred, to Normandy, where they were kindly received by the relative Robert, and where Edward remained until AD 1040, when he returned to England in the reign of his half-brother, Hardicanute who appears to have treated him kindly. He was chosen king by the English on the death of Hardicanute in the following year. Edward the Confessor, I. In monkish cowl, or in the hermit's cell, impious trifling might his days have fled. But among living men, with spirit dead, he dwelt and moved a mockery, and there fell a blight around him, making home a hell, in all life's solemn duties he could see nought but the traces of mortality in earthly beauty but a demon's spell the mystic splendor of the silent skies the wondrous beauty wheresoe'er we tread earth's kind humanities and household ties must they but fill the soul with secret dread as if the purest breath of love were sin and poison lurked each flower of life within 91. Weak in intellect, alienating the minds of the English by his attachment to Norman favourites, expending money on relics and churches that should have been spent in fortifying his kingdom, Edward paved the way for the subversion of the Saxon dynasty. He is described as tall and well-made, with a fair complexion. His time was chiefly passed between prayers and hunting, he was canonized, and many miracles attributed to him. Edward the Confessor, two No neutral character will nature own. For good or evil, we must live and die. And vain it is the destiny to fly. Unknown, unfelt, no life hath ever flown, though it may seem a drop to ocean's throne. Power unemployed, as power misused may tell on the world's progress. In the monkish cell, have mouldered men that should have graced a throne, and the last Edward of the Saxon name, died and was buried in that stately pile his piety had reared. The way to fame, and heaven as well, men thought. Nor need we smile, the feeling lingers with us still. Men give their gold for that which they ought to live. 92. A.D. 1060 In this year there was a great earthquake. A.D. 1066 Then was all over England such a token seen in the heavens, as no man ever before saw. Some men said that it was Cometa, the star, which some men call the Haired Star, and it appeared first on the eve Litania Major, the 8th before the Calends of May, and so shone all the seven nights. Anglo-Saxon Chronicle This comet is represented in the Bayeux Tapestry. It appeared in the year in which the Battle of Hastings was fought. THE EVENTIDE The night was closing round the Saxon's throne. The signs of change were all around, yet few from the right omen's faithful augury drew. There was no omen in the hollow moan of blighting winds in summer or the tone of earthquake, or of tempest. Yet with fear these shook the unthinking, as they reached his ear with fearful tidings of a land or a throne. Not sibyl like doth nature stand to warn kings and their people of their destiny. She wraps her head in clouds by mountain tarn, but there she speaketh but of deity and the immortal, not of earthly things, the fate of empires or the doom of kings. 93. A.D. 1054 This year went Seward the Earl, both with a ship force and a land force, and put flight to King Macbeth. But his son Osborne and his sister's son Seward, and some of his house carles and also of the King's, were slain. And in this year there was so great a moraine among cattle, as no man remembered for many years before. Anglo-Saxon Chronicle The eventide, too. Pale famine with her nerveless hand Had stood by many a forest home, And plague had spread her dark wings O'er the marts where merchants tread, And war had quenched the noble's hearth in blood, And the best ships were sunk in ocean's flood, And strangers stood around the monarch's throne, Who loved their country better than his own, That king too pious to be just or good. These were the omens that men should have read, and some there were who spelt the signs aright, and saw the crown upon the Norman's head, and the dark battlefield of Hastings' fight. A people's common deeds and words are signs, the future's prophet asks no plainer lines. 94. That it was the wish of Edward the Confessor that Harold should succeed him, is expressly stated in the Saxon Chronicle. His character was full of promise. He had on many occasions showed great talents, moderation and undaunted bravery. He was beloved by the people and had made himself feared by the turbulent nobility. If Harold had not fallen, the fight of Hastings would have been but a barren victory to William, but his death left the English without a leader suited to the emergencies of the times. Harold, one. And now there rises from the shadowy past, a kingly figure on whose mournful brow the norms have written doom. And who art thou? Of wrecked bark, the tall but shattered mast of England's Saxon kings and heroes last, the embodiment of systems passed away, the type of principles some far-off day the Anglo-Saxon will to death hold fast, a herdsman's grandson, but a people's choice. Harold, thou hadst a right divine to reign, a right divine to die. There is a voice that never speaks from patriot graves in vain. Thy single arm thy country could not save, and the throne was less noble than the grave. 95 And William came against him, Harold, unawares, before his people were set in order. But the king nevertheless strenuously fought against him with those men who would follow him. And there was great slaughter made on either hand. There was slain King Harold and Leofwin the Earl his brother and Gerth the Earl his brother. And the Frenchmen had possession of the place of carnage. All as God granted them for the people's sins. Anglo-Saxon Chronicle Harold too. Amid the bloody haze of Hastings' fight, the Saxon sun went down when Harold died, and his brave brothers perished at his side. He who from chaos order draws, and light to spring from darkness, maketh right of might in a world's history. But no finite power, whose sight and sway, abounded by the hour to claim such high prerogative, hath right. Years of oppression passed, and race with race waged fierce unceasing war. Peace came at last, when time had softened down each hostile trace. But was there progress till the warfare passed, that Normandy to England joined, became her curse, almost her ruin, not her fame? 96. It is said that Guda or Githa, the mother of Harold, offered to William the Conqueror the weight of her son's dead body in gold, if he would give it her to bury, but that he refused. A.D. 1067 This year, Harold's mother, Githa, and the wives of many good men with her, went to the steep homes, and there abode some time, and afterwards went from thence over the sea to St. Omer's, Anglo-Saxon Chronicle The mother of Harold, Around that grief-struck woman, silently they stood, yet gave her not of words or tears, for each one had her load of woes and fears, beneath whose weight she bent. It was the tie of sorrow, scarcely that of sympathy, that bound the orphan and the widowed bride in that dark hour to childless Geitha's side. She raised at length her sunk and stony eye, and gazed her last on England, and, farewell, came deep and hollow from her moveless lip. I cannot bless the land where Harold fell, and where the cup of woe to its last sip the mother drained, nor will she curse where rest her children's graves, and where she once was blessed. 97. Harold fell by the great standard that he had defended to the last, as the shades of an autumnal night were closing over the field of Hastings. The force of the Anglo-Saxons was very inferior to that of the Normans, one author says not more than a fourth. They had engaged and defeated Harald Hardrada and the Norwegians a few days before. So fearful were the monks of Waltham Abbey that the battle would be fatal to Harald that they sent two of their number, Orsegod Knopper and Eilrich the Childmeister to the field to secure his body if he fell. Night after battle, silence, and death, How hideous or how fair these two may be! Soft as in angels' sleep the dead may look, And grief forget to weep. And on the mountains there are moments, rare and precious, When the earth and sky and air are hushed in breathless stillness, As if God amid their mighty solitudes had trod. And not a tone did awestruck nature dare, and death and night and silence settled down upon that field of fatal flight, and not a requiem sighed the wind. With sullen frown the clouds hung moveless o'er the accursed spot, but bursting storms less fearful had seemed there. The death was doom, the silence was despair. 98. In England, the conquering race have been fused into the conquered. The name of conqueror can, however, scarcely be applied with propriety to William, who waited until the people, left without a leader fit to govern so distracted a kingdom, offered him the crown, on condition that he swore to govern them according to their ancient laws. And it was not until that promise, unfaithfully kept by himself, was gradually observed by his successors that peace was restored to the land. The Anglo-Saxons Conquered, but unsubdued in spirit still, the sullen Saxon tilled the Norman's field. Chained down to earth, he still refused to yield. The conqueror's foot could never crush his will. With a slave's hand he might his tasks fulfil, but no slave's heart was his and daily toil wound not around his soul a deadening coil, its higher hopes and faculties to kill. And so the conquerors had to yield at last, e'en to the conquered language, laws and name, and as their sons in freedom grow, that past is looked upon with reverence, not with shame, and hearts that beat beyond the Atlantic tide turn to that far-off time with love and pride. CONCLUSION And now the task I planned in days gone by is finished, and I turn mine eyes once more from their long looking on the things of yore onto the future's veiled mystery, or all the pressing present wherein lie the truth-grains of that past, atoms enwrought with stately forms, or household words and thought, and mixed for aye with England's destiny. Farewell then, country of my Saxon sires, by edward's shrine i bid thee now farewell in thee were lighted first those household fires where loving hearts and truthful spirits dwell each summer glade beneath the forest tree to me old saxon land shall speak of thee end of sonnets on anglo-saxon history by anne hawkshaw read by phil benson